This is the Daily Perspective Podcast for Wednesday, April 28th, 2021. Hello there. Mark Congleton here, your sometimes humble host for this daily dose of observation, insight, and absurdity. Hoping that you are doing well, as well as all of your loved ones. That everybody is safe, happy, and doing great. Oh, man. It's been a busy morning already. And uh, as, as usual, doing the uh, the thing <laughs> and doing the uh, working over at liferadio.fm, uh, putting together the morning show, uh, the Mark and Mac show, and getting the ball rolling for the day. It's funny that I spend, um, let's see, I used to spend a certain amount of time a day prepping for this roughly hour. It's about 50 minutes, give or take, um, without the commercial breaks that I throw in for, I was throwing those in for the Facebook live feed, but I've just gotten to the point where I'm so disgusted with Facebook because every time it seems I get messages all the time. You can't use this music. You can't play this video. You can't do. Okay, fine. Well then I won't, you don't get my content anymore. That's just what it boils down to. And I, I, which is especially frustrating because I'm going through the licensing thing for liferadio.fm and I actually have the licensing if I want to use it. But anyway, the, um, I, I get, and it's not just today, right? Okay. Let's say I play a, a piece of music on this podcast today as a bumper tune, something coming in and out of a break, something like that. Suppose that I do that. Okay. And that piece of music is copyrighted. Hmm. Something as, oh, I don't know, innocuous and silly as, uh, I don't know. Let me, uh, hang on here. Let me there. Let's do this. How about this? We're happy little worms. There's no way they'll tap that. <laughs> no. That's from an old episode of WKRP in Cincinnati. Right? Red Wigglers. The Cadillac of Worms. Well, just suppose that was my bumper music and it is somehow registered somewhere. Well, their algorithms recognize all that stuff. It's all got fingerprints on it. So they say, uh, unless you get, so-and-so has put, filed a claim against you, you can't use that. And I get that every day, but not just from today. No, I'll get it from two years ago. I'll get it from three. I've been doing the podcast for three years. Yeah, this is season three that I've been doing it for. This is my third year. I will get dinged for something from a podcast in year one. And I wouldn't be at all surprised to see it happen today. It's, it's just amazing. And I, I, I know people aren't going back and listening to two-year-old, three-year-old podcasts. Why would you? It's a topical daily thing. It's about the topics of the day. I, for, for example, uh, Mario Cuomo looking at legal options about losing his, the, that one seat for the state of New York in uh, Congress. Rand Paul fussing about uh, fussing at Biden about something. Um, the, the CDC changing their COVID restrictions. Things like that. That's what this this is about. It's it's about the news of the day and the human condition and how we respond to things and how to be wise in a world that is not wise. And that's it's it's the topic of the day. It's the daily perspective. That is what this is about. It's not a music show. 
But if you use bumper music, if you use any kind of music, you better be licensed for it. Apparently, even three years ago. It's just goofy. It's just crazy. Anyway, that happens every day. And I finally just I got to the point where, you know what? Uh, no, I have enough on my plate without having to deal without having to deal with your insanity. I got enough insanity of my own. And uh, I would spend a certain amount of time every day, as I was saying, prepping for this show. And now I'm also prepping for a four-hour daily show, which means scouring the Internet for stories, things to talk about. Some days it's a gold mine. Other days it's like, ah, it's pulling chicken teeth. It's just crazy. But um, it's a lot of work, and it, it's, it's more work than I remembered it being. Actually, it is more work than it used to be because I was prepping for four hours, four or five hours before, and now I'm prepping for even more. Anyway, but such is my day, plus regular life, okay? I was thinking about today. Dave, Dave was asking me, so what do you got happening today? And I, I said, well, uh, really not much. I've, had, I've been busy the last couple of days. Today, not so much. And I was thinking, at first I thought, wow, that's great. I can actually today... I can prop my feet up at some point this afternoon and watch that movie I was going to watch before something got in the way the other day. And then it hit me, no, Mark, you can't because you've got this and that and this and that and th these things which are stacked up waiting for me to pay attention to <laughs> because I've been busy. So no, no, I'll, I'll have to watch that movie some other day. Maybe. Oh, speaking of movies, I watched the... Uh, Godzilla versus King Kong movie over the weekend. It's it, a friend of mine posted on Facebook that he bailed after five minutes. It was stupid. He bailed after five minutes. I, I wouldn't say that. I, I hung with it. I didn't. It's, it's not, it's not gone with the wind. It, it's not an Academy award winning movie. Trust me. It's not, but it, it's, it's a, it's a romp. And I want to tell you, it's a loud romp. I'm surprised my neighbors didn't come knocking on the door. Is something exploding in your house? Because it's one of those. Anyway, I enjoyed it. So if you like that kind of stuff, if you were, I mean, come on. If, if, you're, if you're an adult today, odds are Godzilla was part of your childhood in some way, shape, or form. You saw the movie or one of the more recent, the original or one of the more recent movies, and you're familiar with the big monster, and you know what's happening. So it's Godzilla, King Kong. Uh, Mecha Godzilla, a lot of stuff going on. It's a it's a fun little romp. It really is. It's not intended to be taken seriously. It's not an intellectual motion picture, but the special effects, very impressive, and the sound, very impressive. I think my dog's deaf now, though. But there, anyway. <laughs> All right, the SBCA will be coming after me now. Oh man, speaking of health, and not just dog health. Nancy Pelosi, I know, I, I know. Could this be a science thing? Hang on a second here. Is it, is it possibly a science thing? I don't know. I have to, I have to think, is it, is it a science thing? I don't know. Okay. We'll call it science. With science. Yep. Citing COVID-19 restrictions. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Democrat from California, has made tickets available for President Joe Biden's Wednesday speech before Congress to just a small fraction of lawmakers. By the way, Thomas Dolby, Blind of Beam of Science, if this was on Facebook, they'd shut this segment down. 
Just saying. Politico reported that as many as 1,600 people normally turn out for a president's speech before Congress. That number includes the 535 members of Congress, plus guests, and those from the executive and judicial branches. According to Senator John Thune, Republican of South Dakota, Pelosi's office has divided up an equal number of tickets for Republicans and Democrats for the event. Thune said it breaks down like this, 40-40 for the House, 30-30 for the Senate. But many members for the lower chamber back home in their districts and taking part in committee work virtually find themselves in a bind. The New York Post says several Republican lawmakers have asked Pelosi to reconsider a time when both Senate and House are in session. According to the Post, Representative Claudia Tenney, the Republican from New York, wrote a letter to Pelosi about the timing of the event. Tenney also said that Pelosi asked that Pelosi allow all members to attend instead of inviting only some from each party in the name of pandemic-appropriate social distancing. Yeah. What's more, Punchbowl News reports that a considerable number of lawmakers asked if they wanted to attend said no or just didn't answer at all. Senator Joni Ernst, Iowa Republican, member of the party leadership, replied when she was asked if she planned to go, not that I'm aware of, I don't think I'll probably attend. Politico noted that Pelosi is leaving it to each chamber leader to determine who gets a ticket to the speech. The outlet attributing the information to two sources said Pelosi is giving preference, as far as her tickets are concerned, to the nearly 20 members of her leadership team. Meanwhile, Attendance by the Supreme Court justices and members of Biden's cabinet will also be limited. Chief Justice John Roberts is expected to attend. Army General Mark Milley will represent the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin will also be there on behalf of Biden's cabinet. A lot of Republican lawmakers appear uninterested in attending, though several dozen will be there, according to Politico. Minority Whip Steve Scalise. The Republican from Louisiana said he was giving his ticket to a freshman lawmaker. Senator John Cornyn of Texas, a Republican, said he plans to watch from his own couch at home. He questioned why Pelosi is restricting vaccinated members of Congress. He said, I just think this has gotten to be arbitrary and a little bit silly. Politico points out that the recommendation came from the House physician. And this is nothing more than more COVID theater. That's all it is. It's just Nancy Pelosi and her cohorts at the top of the Democrat Party putting on another production of COVID theater. That's what it is. It's nothing more. It's nothing less. They've staged it at a time when not many people are actually in Washington, D.C. working. They're working remotely doing virtual sessions and meetings and things like that from home. They're not there. And so you can have a tiny, tiny number of people show up. Let's see, 40, 40, that's 80, 100. They've got, they've got 120 people and a few more are going to be showing up for something that normally would have 1,600 people there. It's just nuts. And the justification will be, protecting people from COVID, practicing safe social distancing, and being an example to the American people. Well, the problem with that is that now the CDC is saying they're rolling things back. 
people who've been fully vaccinated against the virus that causes COVID-19 are no longer being advised to wear masks when they're outdoors. How far are we from that changing to indoors as well? I mentioned yesterday that that uh, that study that says all of this is just foolishness, is none of it's necessary. Well, I think as more time passes, we'll learn that even the indoor distancing and the masking and all of it, it's been silly. It's We were told right off the bat at the very beginning, if you'll recall, at the outset that this, that the masking uh, was ineffective. It wouldn't work. Even the one, the only Dr. Fauci said the same thing. Ah, you don't need masks. Masks don't work on this. They aren't effective. And then they lied about that saying, oh, well, we just wanted to make sure that the people working in hospitals and you know, those emergency responders that they had enough masks. That's that, that, that was, yeah, that was the reason we said that. Yeah. That was why we, we said that not because it was true. Uh, Oh, so it's okay to lie to the people if it's for a good cause. Hmm. That's an interesting justification. Sort of an indicator that, uh, there is no moral compass at work here because whatever justifies the end is fine. Uh, we'll get more into the COVID-19 and the mask outdoors and stuff after the break. But when you consider that in light of what Nancy Pelosi's doing, the advances, the way things are changing, and they're still posturing the way they are, it becomes more and more obvious that this is, as I said, just another production of COVID-19 theater. They just want to keep people scared and they want to keep people convinced that they're doing the right things by masking up, double masking, triple masking everywhere. When we're learning, it's actually not necessary and really hasn't been necessary. And well, when fewer than 2% of those who catch the coronavirus actually die from it? Is any of this really necessary? Or is it just more COVID-19 theater to keep people scared so they'll give government more power? Welcome back to the Daily Perspective Podcast. For Wednesday, April 28, 2021. Okay. People who've been fully vaccinated against the virus that causes COVID-19 are no longer being advised to wear masks outdoors. Now, when I read that line of this story coming from the Epic Times, my first thought is, people have been wearing masks outdoors? Yes, they have. Whenever I'm out and about, I see people all over the place wearing masks, walking around. There's a young lady who walks my neighborhood. She does it as daily exercise. It's one of those smile and wave things. You know, you see her go by. Hey, how are you? And we I don't know who she is. We've never had a conversation, but 
I will be out working in the yard or I will be taking the dog out or I will be coming through the neighborhood in the, in the car or something like that. I'll see her out walking and I wave. And the only way I can tell if she's smiling or not is by looking at her eyes because she's wearing a mask. She's walking for exercise in the outdoors wearing a mask. Hello. People who have gotten two Moderna or Pfizer shots or the single shot Johnson and Johnson vaccine can conduct a range of activities outside without wearing a mask. So says the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Those include dining at outdoor restaurants with friends and attending an outdoor gathering with a mix of vaccinated and unvaccinated people. People who are not vaccinated against the CCP virus, the CCP, that's the Chinese Communist Party, are being told to continue wearing masks in those situations. So they're telling you you should wear a mask when you're dining at outdoor restaurants with friends, attending outdoor gatherings. But even people who have not gotten a shot can walk, run, or bike outdoors and attend small outdoor gatherings without masks. So says the all-knowing and all-powerful wizard of the CDC. Both fully vaccinated and unvaccinated Americans should keep wearing masks while attending a crowded outdoor event like a live performance parade or sports game. I, I have to back up. Dining at outdoor restaurants with friends and attending an outdoor gathering. It, even indoor restaurants. You, nowadays, today, if you want to go, oh, let's just pick any restaurant. Pick your fave, okay? I'll just pull one out of my hat. Cracker Barrel. Let's just say you go into Cracker Barrel. You decide, you know, for lunch today, I want waffles. Doggone it, I want a waffle. I want French toast. I want some pancakes for lunch. Nobody's stopping me. Let's go to Cracker Barrel. You go to Cracker Barrel, there's a sign on the door. You must be wearing a mask to enter. You must wear a mask shopping in the store. You must wear a mask waiting for your table. If you're there at a time you need to wait, well, you must wear a mask as they escort you to the table as you sit down. But once you sit down, ding, you're in the magic zone. The, 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 the virus can't catch you here. It can't get you. Wow. It's amazing. And and when my friend Mike and I Saturday mornings we get together and have breakfast, just a couple of guys, and we hang out and we talk and we go we go scavenging at thrift stores looking for whatever and and just spend some time together and and joke and laugh and carry on. And it's it's a topic of discussion. It doesn't matter where we go, there's a sign you have to wear a mask before entering here. And then they seat you and the mask can come off. And I said weeks ago many weeks ago. I love the magic table. You know, it's just, I love the magic table because it protects us from COVID. Yes. I want one of these at home. Gah! And it's, it's a kind of a running gag. The magic table is the running gag at breakfast on Saturdays now. And I think it's interesting. Go back to Cracker Barrel for a minute, a minute. If, if you will, in your mind, go back to Cracker Barrel. Do you remember going to Cracker Barrel and They've got the peg game on the table, and it challenges you to leave one peg in the little pegboard by jumping pegs. You know, those aren't on the tables anymore. Salt and pepper shakers aren't on the table anymore. Actually, nothing that used to be on the table when you came in and sat down is on the table anymore. They bring you your salt and pepper. They uh, the, the peg game, meh, can't do that. And it's all about COVID. COVID, 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 protecting people from COVID. A while back, 
my wife and I have had to wait for a table. So we're browsing in the store at Cracker Barrel, walking around, looking at this and that. And it hits me. I'm watching people shop. I'm watching people put their hands on merchandise, flipping through the racks of sweaters and and uh, various and sundry things, looking at the toys for the kids, looking at the little collectible items and the, the knickknacks and whatnots for the home, the ball caps for, the, for retired military and, and the like, the, base, the football team or the, the college caps that have, and, and regardless of where you are, they have the, the, the college caps from the biggest rivalry there or maybe all of the local colleges if you have more. And people have their hands all over them. All over them. And yet, they take the peg game off of the table. They make you wear a mask. But you're out there, people are out there touching clothes and knickknacks and the like. And brushing up against each other. Excuse me, pardon me. Because it's kind of tight. Not much space between all those little islands of merchandise. You find yourself picking a route going around this way or going around that way to keep from bumping into people. And eventually you're bumping into somebody. And it's a weird thing. They want you to wear a mask, but they leave all of this stuff out for you to put your hands all over. And you don't know who's touched that stuff before you got there or whether they were infected or not. But that's okay because you're wearing the magic mask and very soon you and your party shall be seated at the magic table. You see, a lot of this stuff just doesn't make sense when you stop to think about it. And the problem is that too many people aren't thinking. They're just following direction. Oh, the CDC says this. Well, our, our corporation will be following the CDC guidelines. Which is why, just as an example, you must be wearing a face covering to enter a Disney park. Many of you are thinking at this point in time about your summer vacations you've been planning. You may have actually put together your game plan and made your reservations and got your hotel set up and reserved your park tickets and the whole nine yards. You're ready to do Disney this summer with your family, get the kids out of school, and do that hot, sweaty week down in Orlando. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'd go along with you if I could. It's been a while since I've been to a Disney park. I like the Disney parks. My wife and I enjoy the Disney parks. We love the escape, the fact that you get on the property, and when you walk through the entrance to whichever park you are in, all of a sudden, you are no longer in your world. You are somewhere else entirely. And they do an amazing job of separating you from the real world and separating you from your money. But that's another topic. They, the, the parks are, are set up so that you have to be wearing a mask. And you can't wear just any kind of a mask. There are certain restrictions. You must, you must wear a certain kind of mask. They have the stickers on the grounds. Everywhere that you line up for an attraction to go ride something, they keep you separated six feet apart. And you're going to stand six feet your little, your little group that you're all together, you will stand six feet in front of or behind 
the other groups in line. And the lines, because of that added six feet, are huge, very, very long. But the requirements are there. Why? Because the CDC dictates that these things happen. The CDC actually can't dictate. They can advise. But the corporations, they will dictate within their corporations that these are the rules and regulations that you shall follow when you are on our property. So if you won't wear a mask, then you're not going to get to ride Space Mountain. If you won't wear a mask, you are not going to be riding the carousel in the Magic Kingdom. You're not wearing a mask. You can forget eating at the Beast's Castle in Be Our Guest. You can just forget it. It's not going to happen. Because of corporate policy following the CDC. And the problem with this is that you and I, as informed people, understand that the studies are showing us what the CDC is telling us is not just behind the information, behind the science. It's denying the science, the real science. And when you question the CDC on social media, you will have people come out of the woodwork to say you're a science denier. When in fact, you're actually the one reading the scientific reports, telling your friends, um, studies are showing this is all bogus. But they don't want to let go of Big Brother guiding their feet. Perspective Podcast about halfway through this midweek edition. Still to come. A letter written by a dad in New York City about what the private school his daughter is enrolled in is teaching students. It's a long letter. It's going to be an entire segment, the fourth segment today. And I hope I can get all the way through it. I just want you to hear that letter and be encouraged because you're not the only person who sees the insanity. I think most people do. Speaking of the insanity, there are sane people in Washington, D.C. You don't know much about that because the, the mainstream media, news media, is not telling you about the sanity. They're just trying to paint the insanity as being sane. Well, Senator Rand Paul, the Republican from Kentucky is accusing President Joe Biden of breaking his pledge to work in a bipartisan manner and unify the country. Now, here's the thing. If you believed that Joe Biden was actually going to be truly bipartisan, then you don't know how politics in Washington, D.C. works. You just want to believe they're telling you the truth. And I hate to break this to you, but when politicians, especially leftist politicians, when they make campaign promises, I'm sorry, but there's no, way that, no other way to put this. They're lying to you. They're lying to you. They're lying to the people who will blindly support them no matter what they say. They're lying. It's that old joke. How do you know when a politician's lying? Their lips are moving. And when President Joe Biden pledges to work in a bipartisan manner and unify the country, you know 
that's not what's going to happen. You see, the word bipartisan to you and I means people on the opposite on opposite sides of an issue compromising with one another, coming to conclusions, working together to make things happen for the good of everyone. That is bipartisanship. It means people who come from different political philosophies working together for the common good of the people. But to leftists, bipartisanship means we won, you lost, sit down, shut up. That's what bipartisanship means. And in that sense, Joe Biden, if you define a word that way, told you what he was going to do. During an interview on Fox News Sunday Morning Futures, Rand Paul, uh, Senator Rand Paul claimed that Biden has not tried to govern in a bipartisan manner. Quote, well, you know, just a couple of months ago, we were hearing from President Biden, the newly inaugurated President Biden, that he was going to unify the country. And then we were going to work together and have bipartisanship. I'm still waiting, Mr. President. I haven't seen any of that. I think that I think what I have seen so far is it's Biden's way or the highway. The Kentucky Republican blasted Biden for passing a $1.9 trillion COVID-19 relief package, which Democrats passed without any Republican support. That's not bipartisanship. That's we won, you lost, sit down, shut up. Additionally, he turned his attention to Biden's proposed $2.3 trillion infrastructure package, which Republicans argue has little to do with infrastructure. And we've talked about that here. They redefine, they redefine the word to make it mean whatever they want it to mean. Oh, yeah, this people are infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Mushrooms are infrastructure. Yeah, that's right. Um, grasshoppers are infrastructure. Did you know that? Yes. Quote, apparently reparations are infrastructure. Apparently child care is infrastructure, health care. They have got a climate po- uh, police force they're going to put out, youth force, he said, adding. But I don't see anything that looks like they want to work together. Now, there are those of us who are saying we could be for some bipartisan infrastructure bill if it had to do with real infrastructure, like roads and bridges, and if it was paid for. His comments referenced an argument from Republicans who claim that Democrats are using the term infrastructure in broad terms to pass their agenda. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell called Biden's infrastructure proposal a Trojan horse and named and claimed Democrats have thrown everything but the kitchen sink into it he's right by the way they have they have poured they have put everything into it that they think they can do every payoff every little every little cash scheme everything they can to satisfy their minions and then they've said oh yeah that's infrastructure Hmm. well to pay for his package biden has proposed raising the corporate tax rate from 21 to 28 percent republicans have signaled stiff resistance to that idea Last week, Republicans unveiled a $568 billion infrastructure package that they say would overhaul the nation's roads, bridges, and airports and would not raise the corporate tax rate. However, Democrats panned the proposal as too small and said it was lacking a plan to pay for it. <laughs> uh-huh. If Democrats are unable to win Republican support in the Senate, they are considering using the, using the budget reconciliation pro- process, which would allow them to pass the bill with just 51 votes with Vice President Kamala Harris casting the tiebreaker. So they will do it just on sheer Democrat majority votes alone. Not bipartisanship, not working together for the common good, 
just shoving those votes through, getting what they want done, getting those programs passed. Even though what gets me, when the reason I laughed on the line about lacking a way to play a plan to pay for it, when the Democrats have a plan to pay for something, it involves soaking the rich. It involves taking more money from corporations and from CEOs and the like. And they, they pit you against them. They play people, people groups against one another in order to justify that move. Oh, those rich, rich CEOs, they've got the money. They've got, they're sitting on tons and tons and tons of money. We can, all we have to do, what gets me is Elizabeth Warren. All we need is like 1% of that money, 1%. And the problem every time is the math never works because they make claims knowing that the average guy or gal is not going to do the math and realize that they're being lied to. And that's how, well, that's how communists have always worked. They lie to the people to get the power. And when they have the power, they ignore the people. Just go look. Look at the history of communism. Look what the nations do for it. Do, do in order to get that communism and because they've been promised certain things. Just go look. Look at the history. Go look at China. I saw an article yesterday about this the China building these amazing state-of-the-art residential areas for people that they say were trapped in a mountain communities, separated from society. And so their solution for the people, because it's always for the people, was to build state housing. State housing, which, by the way, has big, in, in Chinese lettering on the sides of every building, some description of the wonderful things that communism is doing for the people. And then to pull those people out of the mountains, they build retail, they build, you know, they build businesses so that the people, they'll pull the people out of the mountain, out of the mountains, pull them away from doing what they would normally do, planting crops, raising animals and the like, living like they wanted to live. They say that's not good enough because it's because they're not dependent on the government, the state. So they mandate that they be pulled out of the mountains supporting themselves and put into these government-built communities and depend on the government. And that is the length that they'll go to. And if you watch the pattern of behavior, the ideas, the speeches, the propositions being made by the Democrat Party in America today, you will see that this is what they're focused on. They are focused on being the heroes. They are focused on providing for everyone. They are focused on government being the parent and taking care of the country. And as I've said so many times, it's because those who, those people, those, the leftists, the progressives, the socialists, the communists, they all wholeheartedly believe that they are intellectually and morally superior to everyone else and nobody else really understands. So they just have to handle everything for them in order to protect them from themselves and their own bad decisions. And this is what Joe Biden represents in Washington, D.C. today. He represents that view of our nation, which is completely different from our nation's reality. Completely different. And power and control is so important to them that they will go to any measure to maintain it. For example, after the 2020 census released Monday showed New York 
state losing a congressional seat by a mere 89 residents. 89 people made that, made that flip. Governor Andrew Cuomo said the state is looking at its legal options. During a news conference yesterday, the governor suggested that the count may have been inaccurate, claiming that the Trump administration, get this, may have scared undocumented immigrants nervous to come forward. Quote, I do believe the federal government had a chilling effect. We're looking at legal options because you're talking about 89. That could be a minor mistake in counting, right? New York, along with California, Illinois, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia, each lost one seat. Meanwhile, Texas picked up two seats. Florida, Oregon, Colorado, Montana, and North Carolina each added one seat. Politico reported that the congressional maps themselves will not actually be redrawn until at least later this year and continued that reapportionment amplifies the long-term shift in population and political power from northeast to southwest, which began in the middle of the last century. States like Texas and Florida continue to add seats. New York, Pennsylvania, and Ohio, they're shedding seats. Now, here's the thing. People are fleeing blue states because the blue states are being run by incompetent leftists and everything is getting worse for business just for regular life in those states so they're tired of paying high taxes being soaked and and the money spent on things they don't want their money being spent on so they're moving they pack up and they move they go away and so as a result those states losing population began to lose the no, their representation on the federal level as it should be but people like People like Cuomo in New York, Andrew Cuomo, will fight tooth and nail to the death to preserve their power. They will challenge the count to the point that they will actually talk about, well, the 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 illegal aliens were scared to be counted. Why are illegal aliens being counted in the first place? They shouldn't be counted. Our resources should not be used on behalf of people who are not in our country legally, who should not be here, and as a result of being here are actually criminals. Why should they be counted in the first place? Because the Democrats need them to maintain their power and control. And that is the only reason. And here we go, sliding into the final segment for this Wednesday, the 28th day of April, 2021. I told you about a letter from a dad in New York earlier, and now I want to share that with you. A New York dad pulled his daughter out of the the Brearley School in New York City's Upper East Side neighborhood of Manhattan in a public letter addressed to parents still at the school. Barry Weiss, who resigned from a New York Times opinion, uh, opinion post last year published a letter on her Substack platform. Actually, it's a it's a mom. <laughs> Common sense with Barry Weiss. April sixteenth, she criticized the, her former employer for ignoring the heated debates. On hold on a second. 
Okay, here it is. Yeah, this, this wasn't making sense to me, but now it does. Uh, she said, you have to read this letter. She posted this letter on her uh, in her column. If you don't know about Brearley, it's a private all-girls school on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Fifty-four grand a year is what it costs, and prospective families apparently have to take an anti-racism pledge to be considered for admission. The letter by Andrew Gutman explained why he was pulling his daughter out of the school after seven years, which the child attended since kindergarten. By the way, this place costs just literally a handful of dollars less than going to Harvard. Hmm. Here's the letter. Dear fellow Brearley parents, our family recently made the decision not to re-enroll our daughter at Brearley for the 2021-22 school year. She's been at Brearley for seven years, beginning in kindergarten. In short, we no longer believe that Brearley's administration and board of trustees have any of our children's best interests at heart. Moreover, we no longer have confidence that our daughter will receive the quality of education necessary to further her development into a critically thinking, responsible, enlightened, and civic-minded adult. I write to you as a fellow parent to share our reasons for leaving the Brearley community, but also to urge you to act before the damage to the school, to its community, and to your own child's education, is irreparable. It cannot be stated strongly enough that Brearley's obsession with race must stop. It, shouldn't, it, it should be abundantly clear to any thinking parent that Brearley has completely lost its way. The administration and the Board of Trustees have displayed a cowardly and appalling lack of leadership by appeasing an anti-intellectual, illiberal mob and then allowing the school to be captured by that same mob. What follows are my own personal views on Brearley's anti-racism initiatives, but these are just a handful of the criticisms that I know other parents have expressed. I object to the view that I should be judged by the color of my skin. I cannot tolerate a school that not only judges my daughter by the color of her skin, but encourages and instructs her to prejudge others by theirs. By viewing every element of education, every aspect of history, and every facet of society through the lens of skin color and race, we're desecrating the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and utterly violating the movement for which such civil rights leaders believed, fought, and died. I object to the charge of systemic racism in this country and at our school. Systemic racism, properly understood, is segregated schools and separate lunch counters. It is the interning of Japanese and the extermination, exterminating of Jews. Systemic racism is unequivocally not a small number of isolated incidences over a period of decades. Ask any girl of any race if they have ever experienced insults from friends, have ever felt slighted by teachers, or have ever suffered the occasional injustice from a school at which they have spent up to 13 years of their life, and you are bound to hear grievances, some petty, some not. We have not had systemic racism against blacks in this country since the civil rights reforms of the 1960s, a period of more than 50 years. To state otherwise is a flat-out misrepresentation of our country's history and adds no understanding to any of today's societal issues. If anything, long-standing and widespread policies such as affirmative action point in precisely the opposite direction. I object to a definition of systemic racism, apparently supported by Brearley, that any educational, professional, or societal outcome where blacks are underrepresented is prima facie evidence of the aforementioned systemic racism or of white supremacy and depression. Facile and unsupported beliefs such as these are the polar opposite to the intellectual and scientific truth for which Brearley 
claims to stand. Furthermore, I call BS on Brearley's oft-stated assertion that the school welcomes and encourages the truly difficult and uncomfortable conversations regarding race and the roots of racial discrepancies. I object to the idea that blacks are unable to succeed in this country without aid from government or from whites. Brearley, by adopting critical race theory, is advocating the aberrant viewpoint that blacks should forever be regarded as helpless victims and are incapable of success regardless of their skills, talents, and hard work. What Brearley is teaching our children is precisely the true and correct definition of racism. I object to mandatory anti-racism training for parents, especially when presented by the rent-seeking charlatans of Pollyanna. These sessions, in both their content and delivery, are so sophomoric and simplistic, so unsophisticated and inane, that I would be embarrassed if they were taught to Brearley uh, kindergartners. They are an insult to parents and unbecoming of any educational institution, let alone one of Brearley's caliber. I object to Brearley's vacuous, inappropriate, and fanatical use of words such as equity, diversity, and inclusiveness. If Brearley's administration was truly concerned about so-called equity, it would be discussing the cessation of admissions preferences for le uh, legacies, siblings, and those families with especially deep pockets. If the administration was genuinely serious about diversity, it would not insist on the indoctrination of its students and their families to a single mindset most reminiscent of the Chinese Cultural Revolution. Instead, the, ch the school would foster an environment of intellectual openness and freedom of thought. And if Brearley really cared about inclusiveness, the school would return to the concepts encapsulated in the motto, One Brearley, instead of teaching the extraordinarily divisive idea that there are only and always two groups in this country, victims and oppressors. I object to Brearley's advocacy for groups and movements such as Black Lives Matter, a Marxist, anti-family, heterophobic, anti-Asian, and anti-Semitic organization that neither speaks for the majority of the black community in this country, nor in any way, shape, or form represents their best interests. I object to, as we have been told time and time again over the past year, that the school's first priority is the safety of our children. For goodness sake, Brearley's a school, not a hospital. The number one priority of a school has always been and always will be education. Brearley's misguided priorities exemplify both the safety culture and the cover-your-ass culture that together have proved so toxic to our society and have so damaged the mental health and resiliency of two generations of children and counting. I object to the gutting of history, civics, and classical literature curriculums. I object to the censorship of books that have been taught for generations because they contain dated language potentially offensive to the thin-skinned and hypersensitive, something that has already happened in my daughter's fourth grade class. I object to the lowering of standards for the admission of students and for the hiring of teachers. I object to the erosion of rigor in classwork and the escalation of grade inflation. Any parent with eyes open can see these can foresee these inevitabilities should anti-racism initiatives be allowed to persist.
We have today in our country, from both political parties and at all levels of government, the most unwise and unvirtuous leaders in our nation's history. Schools like Brearley are supposed to be the training grounds for those leaders. Our nation will not survive a generation of leadership even more poorly educated than we have now, nor will we survive a generation of students taught to hate its own country and despise its history. Lastly, I object with as strong a sentiment as possible that Brearley has begun to teach what to think instead of how to think. I object that the school is now fostering an environment where our daughters and our daughters' teachers are afraid to speak their minds in class for fear of consequences. I object that Brearley is trying to usurp the role of parents in teaching morality and bullying pa uh, parents to adopt that false morality at home. I object that Brearley is uh, fostering a divisive community where families of different races, which until recently were part of the same community, are now segregated into two. These are the reasons why we can no longer send our daughter to Brearley. Over the past several months, I have personally spoken to many Brearley parents as well as parents of children at peer institutions. It is abundantly clear that the majority of parents believe that Brearley's anti-racism policies are misguided, divisive, counterproductive, and cancerous. I believe, as many believe as I do, that these policies will ultimately destroy what was until recently a wonderful educational institution. But as I am sure will come as no surprise to you, given the insidious cancel culture that has of late permeated our society, most parents are too fearful to speak up. But speak up you must. There is strength in numbers, and I assure you, the numbers are there. Contact the administration and the board of trustees and demand an end to the destructive and anti-intellectual claptrap known as anti-racism. And if changes are not forthcoming, then demand new leadership. For the sake of our community, our city, our country, and most of all, our children, silence is no longer an option. Respectfully, Andrew Gutman. Wow. Hats off. A salute to Andrew Gutman for having the courage to stand up to the school. He's been paying $54,000 a year to for pushing this misguided anti-racism critical race theory on the students and their families. Most of us, all of us, with children or grandchildren in the school system should be writing letters like this to our school systems, letting them know that what they're doing is not empowering our children, it's weakening them. It's preparing them to fail. It's selling them a lie. And by doing so, it's teaching them principles which will not strengthen them, their society, or their nation, but will undermine it. It's that important. It's up to us. That's all for today. See you tomorrow. God bless. Bye-bye. Oh, we're, uh, we're done.